right, recording. Hopefully we'll record all the way through. So I know we're a little bit advanced in Advent, but we still have nine days, which hint, hint, perfect time for novena thinking, right? Oh, yeah. So um, I call this Advent and patience, active anticipation, not uh, uh, passive posturing, okay? All right, and so thinking right now, how has your Advent been? What would you say? Besides studying a lot. Academically loaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, academically loaded. Okay. Anything else with your Advent you felt has been going on during this time, or is it just kind of like just doing the, doing the everyday steps, and once I get done and, you know, I can rejoice for two weeks? I've been traveling a lot, just going back and forth. I don't really have any, any time for myself with, between that and studying. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Anything they've you guys been up to or just studying? Okay. Just studying. <laughs> and that and that's what most students experience during this time is to be honest. I think we've all experienced that. Most people have semesters where they end at the Christmas break and so you're like, I just need to get through this and then I can like let it all go and you know, finally relax and have fun. So uh, at the beginning of Advent, uh, we have in the Collect, which is the prayer of the, of the call to faithful right before you do the first reading. It says, Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds that is coming, so that gathered at his right hand they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. Okay? So Advent, we're supposed to be preparing with righteous deeds for Christ's coming. Okay? So... Let's first start out what Advent is, okay? So Advent actually comes from, uh, it's Adventus, which is Latin, or in Greek, the parousia. And this was actually something before Christianity, so it's not like a word the Christians made up, Advent, okay? And it was supposed to be preparing for the its uh, uh, presence, arrival, or coming, um, you know, usually of the first official visit of, like, the king or emperor, his official usually taking possession of a province. So, and this was also seen with mythical gods emerging to show their strength or be worshipped. There was this idea of Advent uh, in, uh, in mythology as well. So Advent is an anticipation of God's arrival. So, you know, you think about the word Emmanuel. We, we sing that song at Advent, come, o come, Emmanuel. You know, God is with us. So he's not far away. This idea of God is coming close. And you have to remember, at the time for the Jewish people, they've been waiting for this prophecy of Messiah for hundreds of years. I mean, they're like, man, when is this guy coming? And we just keep on kicking, like, the Babylonians and the Assyrians and then later on the Greeks and now the Romans. Like, you know, they were kind of desperate. And so, you know, wondering when that's going to be. And so this is a really good idea to uh, to practice the virtue of patience, okay? And sometimes patience means is like, ah, oh, I'm just going to sit here and listen to it, right? You just be passive. But patience being a virtue, it's an action. You have to activate virtue, okay? You have to act virtue out. You can't, you can't just sit there and experience virtue. It's not like a feeling, okay? Virtue is an action, okay? So... Patience comes from the word pati, which means to suffer and to endure. So why we call patience patience, right? It's because they're enduring suffering. Okay, that's why we call them patience, all right? And so um, this is a subsection of the virtue of fortitude, you know, which is 
uh, you know, to to not give up, to keep on going through difficult times and moments, that, that virtue that keeps us going. So Aquinas says, a person is said to be patient because he acts in a praiseworthy manner by enduring things which hurt him here and now and is not unduly saddened by them. So the opposite of patience in this sense then is to become very sorrowful, okay, like overly sorrowful, okay? And you could think about, a, uh, you know, in the Bible, an example of that would be clearly those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? They're leaving Emmaus. They're all sad after Jesus died. We're, he's supposed to be the Savior, the Messiah. We thought he's going to rescue us, and now he died on the cross, and he's dead and in a tomb, right? And, like, Jesus rebukes them pretty harshly, like, oh, you slow of heart people, you know, like, wow. <laughs> Don't you know the scriptures? What? It's kind of surprising they invited him to stay with him that evening after it looked like he was trying to go on further, right? So, um, you know, so not being overcome by sorrow. So instead of sorrow leading to self-pity and impatience and losing losing control over passions, uh, patience permits us to practice other virtues. So instead of being, you know, becoming impatient, and impatience leads to anger and irritability and bitterness and envy and jealousy and entitlement. I mean, we see a lot of this today, right? You know, you'll see a lot with people, you know, we're not so grateful anymore. We're not willing to wait or give other people a pass for things. We want our stuff right now. You know, how the world is mistreating me. Right? Is everyone's modus operandi, it seems like, whether you're driving on the street or people trying to get through the shopping line, the grocery line, and cutting in front of each other, what have you. You know, everyone lacks patience to some degree, some worse than others. So, how is Advent a time of patience? So, Advent asks us to be what are we hoping for and how are we preparing for it? Okay? So, Benedict XVI talked about this time of Advent. He said, uh, and a time of waiting, he said, if time is not filled by a present endowed with meaning, expectation risks becoming unbearable. If one expects something, but at a given moment there is nothing, in other words, if the present remains empty, every instance that passes appears extremely long and waiting becomes too heavy a burden because the future remains completely uncertain. On the other hand, when time is endowed with meaning, and at every instance worth, uh, we perceive something specific and worthwhile, it is then that the joy of expectation makes the present more precious. So this idea of waiting is not just the time of past when it's like nothing's going on, like can't wait for Christmas to come, right? Okay, and so you have to fill this time with meaning, right? Okay, and so, um, you know, for some people, it's just like, why can't it be Christmas? You know, like, you know, the old Alvin and Chipmunk songs like Christmas, Christmas, you know, don't delay. Right. And they're just like, please come soon. We need Christmas. Right. Uh, And so there's that, you know, this impatience of Christmas must come. You know, I can't bear, you know, another day of school or another day of studying. You know, why can't it be Christmas and just wasting this time away that we have to prepare right okay um and so uh we want to be you know be able to you know prepare well right so there's three grades of patience according to to uh father jaron harman uh who's a jesuit uh first is bearing difficulties without interior complaint so no bearing of bitterness jealousy or impatience 
using hardships to progress in, in virtue. So this idea of making stumbling blocks or stepping stone, like, oh, you know, uh, that person, I, I, I got to get somewhere and I got stuck behind the 75 year old lady driving the old Oldsmobile in front of me going like 10 miles under speed limit. Like, oh, can't you, you know, speed up, ma'am? I just got to get to my place immediately. You know, using hardships, even little ones like that to like, okay, learn patience. And then accept and desire the daily crosses out of love for God, bearing with joy. So this idea that, okay, God brought a difficulty to my life and actually trying to be joyful about that difficulty. So a friend of mine gave me an example the other day. He was at church and uh, it's like Donut Sunday and his kids are all over where, everywhere. And he has to take one of his young ones home to go take a nap. And all of a sudden this lady comes out of the blue and says, hey, you look like you could sweep. Like, come on, really, man? I like I got all my kids here. I got to get one home to go to sleep. You know, not the person you think to choose to go sweeping. But he's like, okay, this is a learning moment for me. I got to learn from this moment, even though I could use my time better by rounding up my kids and taking them all home so the youngest one could sleep. You know, I'm going to just take this inconvenience and allow and help me to grow. So that idea of bearing our crosses actually and learning that crosses can help us to grow. So the problem, though, is that often during this time in the secular world, they're not really preparing, though, for Christ. You know, Benedict talking about making meaning of this time, right? But in the secular world, we're not so focused on that, right? We're focused on our Starbucks holiday drink or, you know, buying that perfect gift so that when we give it to that person, they'll be so happy, right? Because we're all about, you know, what others think of us and human respect and, and that type of thing. And we do it kind of out of a in some ways out of a selfish mode is like, look at me, right? It's kind of like the prayer of the Pharisee is like, look at me, God, I, I uh, pay tithes on everything and I fast twice a week and I pray and I'm not sinful like that loser in the back there. Okay. You know, like it's all about, I'm so great. And, and I do all these wonderful things, you know, maybe we're less diligent with our work, you know, we're checking out from studies or class at this point, right? Like, ah, why I just need to pass this grade so I can get on to clinicals, right? And not worry about doing well right now. Um, so those types of things or the holiday parties and shows like, oh, this is just the time for like feasting and hanging out and celebrating with people and having good times, right? You know, um, you know, but that doesn't really help us to grow in enduring hardships, right? Uh, and it doesn't certainly help us to grow in patience. So we have to, you know, work on endurance and preparation. So contrasting like the parable in the Bible, the, the virgin, you know, you have the five foolish and the five wise. They both have to wait, okay? But the five wise, they're like, hey, we know that the king's coming, uh, the bridegroom's coming, we got to get ready for him. So they go spend their time and energy and money and resources going out and getting the oil that they need to light the lamp. So when he comes at night, they have light to follow him in, you know, to the feast. Whereas the five foolish ones doesn't say what they're doing, but let's just say they're not right. They're obviously not getting ready. So they're probably just having a good time. Right. And so the king's delayed or the bridegroom's delayed and they both fall asleep. You know, they're, one's tired from working hard to, you know, obtain oil. And the other one, group is tired from just having their own fun. And then all of a sudden it's like, surprise, here's the bridegroom. Well, who's ready to walk in with Jesus? Who has the oil? The five wise one, the five foolish are like, oh, shoot, crap, we're not ready for this. Uh, you know, can you give us some oil? Like, mm, no, we, uh, if, you, if we give you some, right, we won't have enough for ourselves. 
So they have to go rush back and try to get oil. That meantime, the bridegroom comes, they all go in, and they're too late, right? You know, and so that can happen to us if we're not using our time well to prepare for Christ's coming. We're going to be too late. You know, Christmas Day will be here, and we're like, wow, we missed out on times to grow in uh, in various ways and think about Christ and prepare. Just came upon us and hear presents and Christmas Day Mass. Yay, right? You know, and we missed that time. So, um, so how can we kind of see models of preparation? And so I like to take some examples from uh, the Bible, particularly around this uh, uh, the, the, the time of when Jesus was born. So first let's think about, uh, St. Joseph, right? So, um, St. Joseph, he finds out, uh, Mary's pregnant and there's actually a couple interpretations about this. Usually most people think he thinks that Mary probably was unfaithful. So I'm going to just quietly divorce her. Other people, including Aquinas actually think he knew that Jesus was actually a son of God and he felt he to be unworthy to be a father to this son of God. So he was going to quietly divorce her. And uh, that's, you know, when the angel comes, says, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary in your home. Meaning, don't be afraid that you feel so unworthy to take Mary, who's the mother of God, uh, and is bearing the son of God into your home. And so this beautiful idea is like he listens to the angel and he has to go home and prepare his house to welcome Marian. So you guys may not know this. So it's, you know how it says at the time that uh, uh, Jesus was, hey, how's it going? So um, we got some goodies here. Sorry for the people on the uh, listening on the other end, no goodies for you. You'll just have to be patient, right? Uh, So um, the, uh, when you were um, betrothed, that actually was a marriage, part of the marriage ceremony. So technically, Jesus or Joseph and Mary are married. That's why the, the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. They're married. It's not engagement. There was no engagement back then, just so you know. But there was a usually roughly uh, 6 to 12-month preparation time where the husband would go home and prepare a house to welcome his new bride, and then they'd have a special second ceremony, which is classically what we kind of think of today as our wedding ceremonies, where you, you know, you finalize your nuptial vows, right? And then you go your honeymoon or whatever you want to call it, okay? That was awkward because you, like, were in the same room as all your family staying next door, right? (laughs) So, a little bit more awkward, okay? Um, But... So he goes home to prepare his house to receive Mary into it. And so that's just a beautiful idea. How can we prepare our houses to receive Mary into it? You know, I remember I was very happy to receive this uh, statue of St. Joseph that I got from my grandmother after she passed away that when I would stay at her house in her guest room, that's where the St. Joseph statue was. And I was had it placed probably you know right by my front door which made me really happy because i was like i felt like saint joseph's guarding the door and i was thinking about this in prayer while i was riding my exercise bike one day so you can do two things at once right um i just remember having this thought in my head like saint joseph telling me like hey you know you have a picture of of our uh of my uh spouse and the son of god sitting in a box why is it sitting in a box and i was like oh crap i feel really bad so after I got done, I pulled out this picture that I got that we have that we hadn't ever put up in our new home yet of uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and that's also a picture of um, uh, Divine Mercy Jesus um, that an artist made. That's a special rendition of having on one side 
uh, what the Juan Diego and the bishop are looking at, and behind them is our, the Divine Mercy Jesus, and then in front of it is um, uh, the artist in the background holding up the uh, Tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So it's kind of a cool picture. So I put that up because <laughs> I realized he like he would not be happy just having Saint Joseph would not be happy just having a statue of himself in the house without a, something of Mary and Jesus in the house too. So I was like, oh shoot. So preparing our homes to welcome in uh, the Mother of God and of course therefore also Jesus. Okay. Now let's think about the Blessed Mother. Obviously a wonderful example. First off, after she receives the Annunciation, what does she do? She makes haste and runs off to go help her older kinswoman, Elizabeth, you know, to prepare for the John the Baptist for the next three months. So she stays there for three months helping out, you know, uh, Elizabeth in this situation, you know, because Zachariah's not going to be too helpful since he's mute the whole time, right? <laughs> um, so uh, another example, you know, this idea of assisting others during this time. Uh, it's a great um, thought, you know, in addition to many other things our Blessed Mother went through. I mean, um, you know, for if you ever get to experience pregnancy later on in your life, you know, the feeling and sensation of your child moving inside of you will be kind of an amazing feeling. I'm sure our mother thought about that much as Jesus grew inside her womb and could feel that, you know, think about this. God's stirring beneath the surface of your own skin right there. That's kind of freaky, but cool to think about, right? So, um Obviously a great example. Um, endurance. So let's think about the shepherds, okay? So the just shepherds are out in the fields at night. And let's think, what if they had fallen asleep? I'm like, oh, man, it's, I hate staying up late watching the sheep, okay? You know, even though this is the most important time to watch the sheep because that's when the, you know, the predators come out at night to try to take the sheep, right? What if they were lazy and fell asleep? Well, they wouldn't have seen the angels, right? So they kept awake and watchful. And because of that wake watchfulness and looking out, they encountered, had a, you know, a divine encounter in the sense that the angels were able to communicate this great news. And then they listened to that, like, hey, yeah, let's go check this out. This is great news, right? I mean, and that's so radical to think about because you think about, hey, a great new, the Messiah, wouldn't he be born in some great royalty or regality, you know? Um, but it, he's not. He's born in poverty. I mean, it'd be like you walking down the alleyway and the gardener come up, hey, back at that shed over there, God is uh, was born. He's sitting in a wheelbarrow down there. Why don't you go check it out, right? Right? Would anyone like be like, oh yeah, that is really cool. So, but the angels or the shepherds believed. Okay, so they were trusting and, and believing in in the way that God was looking, and because they were watchful, they were looking for God, even if they didn't know about it exactly, they were looking. And so that's what we have to do: endure and keep watching. Okay, and then. Um, you know, you think about examples of the wise men, right? They're they're watching the stars and the cosmos, and it gives them, you know, the sight like, oh, there's going to be a new king of Israel coming, and they make all these preparations, getting these gifts, and traversing across uh, rugged terrain through difficult areas, and they go see Herod to find out where this new king is. So this idea of how can I prepare a gift and how can I bring this to Jesus, okay? And they were dedicated to that. You know, they follow the star, okay? Um, and then after Jesus is born, I mean, there's these other examples. I mean, think about Anna the prophetess, okay? So she had been married for, what, like seven years? And then she was like a widow up in the, up until that point afterwards, and she was 84. And she said the whole time during her widowhood, 
she was in prayer and fasting. That's a pretty long Advent, let alone Lent, right? You know, we're talking about somewhere around 50, 60 plus years, depending on how old she got when she was married, right? Which in those days, you're like 15, 16, 17, right? So a long time. And it, because of this, she's able to pick out, hey, that guy's the Messiah there with the, that couple there. That baby's the Messiah. You know, no one like, you know, I'm sure Jesus or Joseph and Mary didn't come around. Hey, by the way, we got the Son of God. Anyone want to check him out? Right? No, no one. They weren't doing that. It was because Anna was deep in prayer and, and watchfulness and the hope of the Messiah that she was able to recognize that his presence there when everyone else around did not see this. Certainly not the people at the end, right? They're like, oh, random couple who has no money? Away with ye, right? Go find some, uh, you know, uh, cave to go give birth to that kid. We don't have room for you, right? So, but it was because of that watchfulness and that preparation and that self-denial that she had in her fasting that she was able to see that. Or Simeon, who had the, you know, prophecy with the Holy Spirit, right? Who then, uh, with that, is able to see, hey, this couple coming to me, you know, uh, for the for uh, the offering that you have to do 40 days after the birth. This is this is the this is the guy. This is the Messiah, right? And so having that preparation is so key uh, to um, to being able to be ready to see Christ to welcome him in. So how are some practical things that we can you know be doing, um, you know? Uh, to to recognize these things. So first off, we can worship each day with uh, what we're called to do with our vocation, right? Working hard each day, okay? And bringing Christ along. So think about St. Joseph. You know, he worked hard each day as a carpenter doing his work. And who was with him all those years every day? And he's like, hey, God, go sweep up that corner for me. Hey, bring me that wood, God. <laughs> you know, hey, we need to cut that off. You know, okay, up that table's a little wobbly. We need to sand that other leg down, right? Okay, he was bringing God in his everyday work, but he was doing his everyday work the best he could, all right? So like I talked about, sometimes people think of this year as like, oh, you know, I can kind of check out now. You know, it's almost over. Christmas is almost here. We kind of start checking out with our responsibilities. No, no, no. We need to check in with our responsibilities. The shepherds checked out with watching the flock. They'd never see the angels and they never see Jesus Christ and adore him on the day he was born. Right. So working hard at what we're already supposed to do. Two, you know, the idea of. Uh, plan of having a plan for prayer, especially with these final nine days. So like I talked about, you could do like a Christmas novena. You could start reading little bits of the Gospels, like the infancy narratives. Or the beginning of John is very beautiful, even though it's not the infancy narrative, but it talks about in the beginning and the Word and, you know, this light coming forth, which mimics the idea of, you know, creation and how this light of Christ came in the middle of the night when he was born. So having that uh, practice of some type of daily prayer that we can bring to God um, that we might add on from even what we're doing right now, a small thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm going to say all four, uh, you know, mysteries of the, the rosary each day or something like that. It doesn't have to be that big, obviously. But something that kind of helps us get in tune with this notion that Christ is, is near. Uh, the third thing is, and this is helping us work on, is be cheerful with the Scrooges, Okay. What does that mean? So as I talked about, when we walk around, we're going to encounter people who 
are unhappy, ho-hum, you know, not, you know, frustrated, you know, impatient, rude, whatever, right, you know, and sometimes we got to, you know, without, you know, allowing justice to be hurt, maybe let them pass, like, okay, that guy's in a hurry, you know, I'll let him cut in line in front of me at the grocery store so he can do his stuff, right, because he has to be number one, but just be cheerful, you know, smile when people can see your smile. Of course, no, obviously we're all wearing masks right now, so like no one can see our smiles. But, you know, be cheerful with that. Or when you go home, and you know what happens when you go home, and maybe, you, you know, you go to your parents' place and you have older siblings or other people come in. Everyone's personality comes in and comes into clashing, right? You know? So just being patient with that. Uh, don't pushing your own agenda. Like, oh, we got to go see, you know, the crazy house Christmas lights like we do every year. And if I don't, I'm going to be miserable and get mad at everyone, okay? Let everyone just kind of have a little bit of their way and put aside your own plans and assumptions and just kind of work with the flow of things, right, with stuff. So kind of letting that that by okay um four is um uh bring mary into your home okay so there's two times the bible that happened i told you about the saint joseph time does anyone know the other time where someone was told about bringing mary into their home oh um to john yes so after Jesus, you know, gives the, the command, which is first he turns to Mary and says, woman, behold your son, and then looks at John and says, behold your mother. And then after a point says, from that day forward, he took Mary into her home. Like, that short little susten- sentence has a profound thought, like, wow, I'm bringing Mary into my home. Now think about this. When was the first novena of the church ever happened? What's the first novena ever? Do you know what that is? So when Jesus was ascending, he said, before you uh, go, you know, receive power of the Holy Spirit, he told them to go back to the upper room. And what did they do? They stayed there for nine days. And who was leading them in prayer? Blessed Mother, right? So Blessed Mother coming in for a nine-day prayer before a special moment. This is a special moment, right? I mean, so this idea of bringing Blessed Mother into our home to prepare for uh, Christ coming, this is like one of the best things we could do right now, especially if we do that Christmas novena I talked to you guys about, um, as a way of preparing for it. And with that in mind, I got you guys a little gift. And you can't throw this in the trash because I got them blessed. So you have to bury them and burn them. You're done with them. Box included. Uh, yeah, you don't have to give me the box back. I'm not going to. So this is something you could even just put by like your studying books or whatever you're doing, like your work, have that up. And then you kind of just look at her like a mom when you're going like, ah, I don't understand life cycles, mom. Like, <laughs> mom will look mom back. Pregnancy, just look. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand this pregnancy stuff. Mom will look back. Don't worry, they don't either. <laughs> right. So, um, so anyway, yeah. So that's kind of a special gift for you guys. And then um, the fifth thing is that idea of. Um, um, 
service, okay? Being watchful, how we can, uh, in service, encounter Jesus Christ, okay? Because Jesus Christ is always passing by in other people, right? You know, and it can be in small things. It could be a little kid sitting at the table of a restaurant and having fun and smiling and playing with their, their parents and something like that. I mean, Jesus Christ did that. He was smiling and Googling with Mary when he's a little baby. And so, um, let's see, I'm trying to bring up this story, though. I wanted to end with this story. Uh, uh, this kind of a uh, cool story of service by a, a a person who was playing Santa back in a mall in Milwaukee back in the late 90s. Let's see if I can get it to work. Hold on. Gotta get off the Wi-Fi because that's not working. Okay. All right, so... In December of 1997, a little boy and his grandmother came to see Santa at Mayfair Mall in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, near Milwaukee. The child climbed up on his lap, holding a picture of a little girl. Who is this? asked Santa, smiling. Your friend? Your sister? Yes, Santa. My sister, Sarah, who's very sick, he said sadly. Santa glanced over at the grandmother, who was waiting nearby, and saw her dabbing her eyes with a tissue. She wanted to come with me to see you. Oh, so very much, Santa, the child exclaimed. She misses you, he added softly. Santa tried to be cheerful, encouraged a smile to the boy's face, asking what he wanted Santa to bring him for Christmas. When they had finished their visit, the grandmother came over to help the child off his lap and started to say something to Santa, but halted. What is it? Santa asked warmly. Well, I know it's really too much to ask you, Santa, but... The woman began showing her grandson over to one of Santa's elves to collect a little gift which Santa gave all his young visitors. The girl in the, fo- in the photo there, my granddaughter, well, you see, she has leukemia and isn't expected to make it to, to make it even through the holidays, she said through tear-filled eyes. Is there any way, Santa, any possibility or any possible way that you could come see Sarah? That's all she's asked for for Christmas is to see Santa. Santa blinked and swallowed hard and told the woman to leave information with his elves as to where Sarah was, and he would see what he could do. Santa thought of little else the rest of the afternoon. He knew what he had to do. What if it were my child lying in that hospital dead, uh, bed dying? He thought with a sinking heart. This is the least I could do. So when Santa finished visiting all the boys and girls that evening, he retrieved from his helper the name of the hospital where Sarah was staying. He asked the assistant location manager how to get to Children's Hospital. Why? Rick asked with a puzzled face. Santa relayed to him the conversation with Sarah's grandmother earlier that day. Come on, I'll take you there, Rick said softly. Rick drove them to the hospital and came inside with Santa. They found out which room Sarah was in. Rick said he would wait out in the hall. So Santa quietly peeked into the room through the half-closed door and saw little Sarah on the bed. The room was full full of what appeared to be her family. There was the grandmother and the girl's brother, who he had met earlier that day. A woman who he guessed was Sarah's mother stood by the bed, gently pushing Sarah's thin hair off her forehead. And another woman who he discovered later was Sarah's aunt, sat in a chair near the bed with a weary and sad look on her face. And they were talking quietly, and Santa could sense the warmth and closeness of the family and their loving concern for Sarah. Taking a deep breath and forcing a smile on his face, Santa entered the room, bellowing a hearty ho, ho, ho.
Santa, shrieked little Sierra weakly. As she tried to escape her bed to run to him, ivy tubes intact. Santa rushed to her side and gave him a warm, or her, gave her a warm hug. A child, the tender age of his own son, nine years old, gazed up at him with wonder and excitement. Her skin was pale, and her short tresses bore telltale ball patches from the effects of her chemotherapy. But all he saw when he looked at her was a pair of huge blue eyes. His heart melted, and he had to force himself to choke back tears. Though his eyes were riveted upon Sarah's face, he could hear the gas and quiet sobbing of the women in the room. As he and Sarah began talking, the family crept quietly to the bedside, one by one, squeezing Santa's shoulder uh, or his hand, gratefully whispering, thank you, as they gazed sincerely at him with shining eyes. Santa and Sarah talked and talked, and she told him all the toys she wanted for Christmas, assuring him she had been a very good girl that year. As their time together dwindled, Santa felt led in his spirit to pray for Sarah and ask for permission from the girl's mother. She nodded in agreement, and the entire family circled around Sarah's bed. Holding hands, Santa looked intently at Sarah and asked her if she believed in angels. Oh, yes, Santa, I do, she exclaimed. Well... I'm going to ask that angels watch over you, he said, laying one hand on the child's head. Santa closed his eyes and prayed. He asked that God touch little Sarah and heal her body from this disease. He asked that angels minister to her, watch and keep her. And when he had finished praying, still with his eyes closed, he started singing softly, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. And the family joined in, still holding hands, smiling at Sarah and crying tears of hopes and tears of joy for this moment. As Sarah uh, beamed at them all. When the song ended, Santa sat on the side of the bed again and held Sarah's frail, small hands in his own. So, now, Sarah, he said authoritatively, you have a job to do, and that is to concentrate on getting well. I want you to have fun playing with your friends this summer, and I expect to see you at my house at Mayfair Mall this time next year. He knew it was risky proclaiming this to a little girl who had terminal cancer, but he had to. He had to give her the greatest gift he could. Not dolls or games or toys, but the gift of hope. Yes, Santa, Sarah exclaimed, her eyes bright. He leaned down, (coughs) kissed her on the forehead, and left the room. On the hall, the minute Santa's eyes met Rick's, a look passed between them, and they wept unashamed. Sarah's mother and grandmother slipped out of the room quickly and rushed to Santa's side to thank him. My only child is the same age as Sarah, he explained quietly. This is the least I could do. Then nodded with understanding and hugged them. One year later, Santa Mark was again back at the set in Milwaukee for a six-week seasonal job, which he loves to do so much. Several weeks went by, and then one day, a child came by on his lap. Hi, Santa. Remember me? Of course I do, proclaimed Santa, as he always does, smiling down at her. After all, the secret to being a good Santa is to always make each child feel as if they're the only child in the world at that moment. You came and saw me at the hospital last year. Santa's jaw dropped. Tears immediately sprang in his eyes, and he grabbed this little miracle and held her to his chest. Sarah, he exclaimed, and he scarcely recognized her, for her hair was long and silky, and her cheeks were rosy, much different from the little girl he had visited just a year (coughs) before. And he looked over and saw Sarah's mother and grandmother (coughs) in the sidelines, smiling and waving and wiping their eyes. (coughs) 
Sorry. That was the best Christmas ever for Santa Claus. <laughs> he had witnessed and been blessed to be instrumental in bringing about this miracle of hope. This precious little child was healed, cancer-free, alive and well. He silently looked up to heaven and humbly whispered, Thank you, Father. Tis a very <coughs> Merry Christmas indeed. So, story of uh, Santa. And uh, I'd just like to use that as a final example of when sometimes you take time out and you inconvenience yourself. And it all started because a little boy, not only a little boy bringing a picture of his sister, but Santa seeing someone sit, try to say something and speaking up, you know, asking more and seeing what more he could do in a situation that if he had said nothing would never have happened, right? And so we have to look at these times and moments that we have in the next nine days, even if it's in small ways, to see, hey, how can we listen better? How can we be watchful? You know, like St. Joseph listening to the angels or watchful like the shepherds or paying attention like Anna, you know, to see where Christ is trying to come into our life. Like, uh, you know, for Santa, that little girl Sarah came into his. So, uh, wish you guys all a very blessed rest of Advent, preparing, preparing for it, and of course, a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat>